You're listening to audio from Redwood Baptist Church. If you need any more information about us, go to weareredwood.org. We hope that the message that you're about to hear will strengthen you, encourage you, and make you more like Jesus. Blessings. Please turn to Mark chapter number 4. Mark chapter 4. And I'm so thankful for, uh, for Pastor Mike and his... Uh, just willingness to, and just such a blessing here in our ministry, and uh, we'll fill in when we are away. And but I'll tell you what, there is no place like home, and I mean that. This is uh, don't don't please. This is not like I don't don't take this wrong, but this is right here. This is where I belong. I love it here, and uh, I'm so thankful for uh, the ministry of the Word of God, and that you allow me the immense privilege to uh, stand before you on a weekly basis and preach the Word of God to you. For those of you that are that were guests last week and that you're back this week, thank you. And I'm thankful for Mike and his message on uh, just kind of why, why we sing, why we worship. And it's so important uh, and uh, just a very timely, uh, timely message. But I'm excited to get back into our series uh, that we entitled Jesus. And uh, we're looking in basically on Him on every single page of the of the book of Mark and I want to we're going to finish up chapter number four this morning I prepared uh, this message kind of the week uh, before we left for vacation so I've kind of been stewing on it for for a week now so are we ready we good it's going to be actually pretty short and everybody said hey now you're not supposed to do that no it's all good but uh, I just I've got I got something unique here for you, and I really pray a text that's very familiar would hopefully uh, be a tremendous blessing to you. Verse number 35 of Mark chapter number 4. And the same day, that was the day Jesus had been teaching all throughout the day. He's been teaching parables on uh, the candlestick, on uh, seed and sowing and all different types of soils, all of that different kind of stuff. So it's been a, it's been a long day. And the same day when the even was come, He saith unto them, Let us pass over unto the other side. And when they had sent away the multitude, they took him even as he was in the ship. And there were also with him other little ships. And there arose a great multitude of wind, and the wheat waves beat against the ship, so that it was now full. And it was in the hinder part of the ship, and he, excuse me, Jesus, was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow. And they awake him, and they said unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? And he arose, and he rebuked the wind, and said unto the sea, that would be the Sea of Galilee, you'd know that from earlier in the text. And he says, Peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are ye so fearful? How is it that ye have no faith? Verse 41, the end of the chapter, And they feared exceedingly, and said one to another, What manner of man is this? that even the wind and the sea obey Him. This morning I want to preach a message that might have a unique title, but I want, you to, I want you to stick with me throughout this morning. And the title is this, When Fear Casts Out Fear. When Fear Casts Out Fear. Let's go to the Lord one more time and ask Him to bless our time. Lord, we come before You and we're thankful, God, to have gathered here this morning and Lord, as, as a body, as a group of believers, there is much to 
be thankful for. God, I'm thankful for what you're doing in the lives of your people. Lord, we miss the many that are away on vacation. I pray that they would enjoy their time. I pray that they would honor you and worship you today somewhere. And God, but we're just so much to be thankful for. There's so much growth that is place that is happening in the lives of the people of our church but God that when you also take a local body like we have here there's a lot of heartache that is also going on those that are suffering those that are um, going through physical ailments and we lift them up and we already have this morning those that have just gone through great grief over the last week and God, our hearts, they, they, they break along with them and, we, and we, we enter into their lives and we love and we, and we pray and we know that, God, you are in complete control. We just sang about beholding you and as you were seated on the throne. God, I pray that as we take a step back this morning and look into this real account that was some 2,000 years ago with you and your disciples on the Sea of Galilee, Father, I pray that we, would, that we would learn from it. I pray that, God, we would, in the next 30 minutes or so, when we say our final amen and we're dismissed, that we, would, that we wouldn't leave here the same. That, God, we will have worshipped in song. We will have worshipped in giving. We will have worshipped in receiving and the giving of the Word this morning. And, God, I pray that it will have changed us. I pray that it will have impacted our afternoon and our evening and into our work week to where we can gather again next Sunday and be encouraged once again by the life-giving power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray that you would move mightily now. Do a work that I cannot do, but that only you can do. And Lord, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever in your life stepped back and ask the question, who is God anyway? Who is God? I mean, none of us here have actually seen Him. The Bible says if you ever have, you literally would die. But who is, who is God anyway? And I'll be honest with you, it is really a good question, and it's the question of the passage that we're going to look at here this morning. And it's appropriate for us this morning to to think about this question in the middle of a service of celebration. Do you realize that every Sunday is a Sunday of celebration? I've told you that my favorite Sunday in all the world is Easter Sunday. I love Easter Sunday. And you want to know what my second favorite service is? The Sunday after Easter. You want to know why? Because it's still a celebration. Jesus is still risen. And we still sing about, we sang about the cross this morning. We sing about the risen Savior in the song of Behold Our God. And we have a service of celebration, a service of worship this morning. We have just sung about the grace of God and sending us His Son for us. And I'll be honest with you, it's an easier question to answer who is God anyway this morning than it will be maybe come Tuesday afternoon or come Wednesday when you face something that is unthinkable how do you answer that question of who is God anyway in moments of difficulty when God is responding in ways that are a little bit unexpected how do you respond when it seems like God is not there 
or when it seems like he does not care, or even worse, when it seems like he's not even listening or aware of what is going on in your life? Is there a disconnect between the celebration this morning and the level of anxiety that you will feel sometime this week? Or maybe the drop-dead panic that you will experience in some unthinkable moment that is no doubt around the bend of your week. This morning we find ourselves in one of the most familiar of biblical stories where Jesus rebukes the sea, where He calms the waters. If you've grown up in church in any length of time, no doubt you've heard a message on this. If you, are, if you grew up in Sunday school, you would have been in Sunday school and heard lessons and, and literally seen maybe you know, graphs and all those different types of things on this lesson. It's been a very long day of ministry. Jesus has been teaching, He's been instructing, He's been sharing parables, and, and it's been a long day. And He's wanting to kind of get away from the crowd. You've seen that in the book of Mark. You saw that in chapter 1 and chapter 2 as well as in 3 where after these long days of ministry, there's, there's a desire of Jesus to have a little respite. There's a desire to have maybe um, some time to, to, to Himself. And He's asking His disciples, hey, I want you to take me on a boat and I want you to take me across the Sea of Galilee. And those people can't, all the people that are thronging me earlier in this chapter, uh, you see where you know the people are just literally, he's like almost crushed because the people are coming to him. They've got needs. They, 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 they want to benefit from Jesus. Not necessarily because he's the Messiah, but because of what he can do for them. What they've heard, his fame has grown abroad in the area. And so he says, hey guys, take me across to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. I need, I, need, I need a little bit of a break. Now, the Galilee is a very shallow lake, and it's known for its violent storms. It's been well documented that if you were ever fishing on the Sea of Galilee and there was some dark sky coming across and some wind beginning to whip, it is well known that you need to get off of the Sea of Galilee because a massive storm could be raging and it could turn violent very, very quickly. And that is the scene. Jesus has been ministering. He's been healing. He's been doing all kinds of things. Hey guys, take me across. I need a, I need a little bit of rest. I need a rest, but take me to the other side. And they're in the boat and one of these storms comes up. Out of the blue. You thought everything was going well. Might even even been a time of celebration. Then all of a sudden, this storm comes along. It's getting bigger. The boat is getting tossed and it's getting filled with water. And even these experienced seamen these experienced fishermen, they're beginning to think, hey, we're in some big trouble here. And Jesus, we've studied him every week of this series. He's asleep. He's asleep on a pillow. What an amazing scene. The disciples, they're, they're, dealing, with, they're dealing with two things here in this text. First of all, they're dealing with the terror of the storm and being confronted with their inability. What do you do in this moment? You're in this little boat of some, some, uh, of some size, and now this wave, the waves are beating against the boat. The Bible says literally the boat is beginning to fill up with water. The waves are bigger than the boat, and it's thrashing back and forth. And what do you, what do, you do in a moment like this? They have no power whatsoever to change their circumstances. None. I mean, maybe they could begin to bail the water out as quick as they can, but... Really, they can't change the circumstances. 
But they're not only dealing with that. Not only are they dealing with the harshness of the reality that they are facing on the Sea of Galilee, secondly, they're dealing with the unexpected response of the Messiah. How could he be sleeping at this moment? How how can this be his response? What what, what kind of response is this? I mean, Jesus, you've, you've, you've healed all kinds of people. The lame has been brought to you. The leprous has been brought to you. And you're doing all kinds of things, no doubt, things that weren't even recorded. The Bible tells us that not everything that Jesus did, could, the books couldn't even contain it. And so the disciples, they've, they've left everything that they've known. They've left their entire livelihood to follow Jesus Christ, to follow the Messiah, to follow, that's the beginning of this, the, to the man preaching the gospel of the kingdom. They've given it all, and he's not even paying attention. He's asleep. It was unexpected. The situation, as well as the response. What an amazing scene. Try to place yourself there. No wonder the disciples ask in verse 38, and when he was in the hinder parts of the ship asleep on a pillow, and they awake him and they said, Master, Master, hey, don't you care that we're going to die? These are experienced fishermen, experienced men that were used to the sea, used to situations like this. And they're coming to the master, and they're so terrified, they're saying, hey, hey Jesus, hey, we're going to die, and don't you care? Now, you have got to understand this. Fear is by its very nature an interpretation of life. Fear by its very interpretation, its very nature, it's an interpretation of life. Listen to me, fear is not always an evil thing. If you're standing at the bottom of a set of stairs and your toddler, your baby has just come crashing down those stairs and they're now kind of at the bottom of those stairs kind of lifeless and you spring into action and you're terrified, listen, that's actually a good thing. I had a situation that brought immense fear into my life a few weeks ago. It was on Father's Day of all places. We were down with with my parents, and uh, we were eating lunch at a hotel in Coronado. And you have the lobby of this hotel, and there's multiple exits outside of this hotel. We had already ate way too much food. Have you ever done that, right? You know, oh man, already eaten way too much food. And everyone say, hey, got to use the restroom here and there. And then, so we're all there getting ready to kind of get in the car and uh, head out of the area. My dad says, hey, I got to use the restroom. It's like, okay, all right. So we're there in the lobby. My family, Blake, Danielle, Blake's playing with a little car that he had gotten. And all of a sudden, about a minute, minute and a half later, Danielle says, Where's Blake? How many of you ever lost a kid for a while? (laughs) We laugh, but you know that moment. You're not laughing. Where's Blake? Blake sometimes in the course of his life, he's, you know, kind of, he'll be like, you know, 10, 15 feet. You know, sometimes we're, you know, we're like such mean parents. We try to teach him a lesson. He gets away in front of us and then we hide and then we see the tear in his face. Come on, you've done that too. Thank you. I appreciate that. But that wasn't the case here. Where's Blake? 
And so we begin to, my, my mom's there, Sarah's there, and Danielle, and, and myself, my dad's in the restroom. We, we, have, we have no clue where, where Blake's at. We begin to go in different directions. There's also a downstairs mall in this, in this hotel. And we begin to go in different directions, and then we kind of come back, and we're looking at each other, and we're like, There's, we, we can't find Blake. We have no clue where he's at. I go into the closest bathroom, and I go in there, and I say, John! That's my dad's name. No response. And then I, we come back to it again. This time Sarah's gotten people in there. She's literally showing him the, showing everybody his picture. I'm going on to little, literally the hallways. It's kind of like an outdoor courtyard with outdoor hallways into uh, where, where rooms would be. And I'm listening for screaming. You know, the, you, you know the fear. I cannot find my son. Five, six, seven, eight minutes have gone by. And I'm going downstairs to another bathroom. John! Nothing. By this time, everyone's we're terrified. The authorities are like, all the hotel guests are looking for him. The hotel uh, workers are looking for him. And so now it's beyond about, we're, we're going past 10 minutes. And we can't find Blake. Obviously, Blake's right here, okay, everyone? So you already know the end of the story. And I'm out literally, there's like a beach along this hotel. I'm literally looking out of the hotel or out of the beach trying to see if I can, you know, find Blake, see Blake hear screaming or anything like that. And then I get the phone call from Sarah. We found Blake. He was never lost. He was with my dad. My dad was like literally like 50 feet down a hallway and he saw my dad. I mean, as innocent as he was, he wasn't in trouble. He went and ran after my dad. My dad just assumed we sent him and they're off shopping in the downstairs mall. And he comes up from the elevator where Sarah, they're literally in the lobby there. I mean, the crying pictures. Have you seen Blake? And he comes out with like this $180 Lego set that my dad had bought him with a big old smile on his face. My dad sees my wife bawling. My dad sees my mom there, Danielle crying. He thought something happened to me because I wasn't there. <laughs> hey, listen, that's a, that's a good fear. I haven't let him out of my sight since. He's probably like, Dad, you can let go of my hands. Fear is an interpretation. Here is the equation that happens in these kinds of moments, particularly for those of us that are believers, for those of us that know God. It goes like this. It starts with situation. You've got the situation that is there, and you add self. That's us. Self. And then you add God. Situation plus self, you, plus God equals fear. What you think about this? I look at the size of the situation. I look at my ability or inability. And then I add to that who I think God is and what I think He is doing. And the result is either hope and courage or fear. Let me ask you a question. What do you think about God? Who is God anyway? 
how you answer that question is going to determine how your equation comes out. Because you know what? You really can't control your situations, can you? You, you, just, you really can't. I mean, you can try, but ultimately, you have no power over that. And either you're going to have the ability to solve the situation, or you are not. And everything hinges on your idea or your belief of who God is. And if our belief and our thinking and our reality and the way that we know who God is, know who Jesus is, is going to determine what the answer to the equation is. And I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, but fear is actually an okay answer. There's a different kind of fear. Perhaps you and I would say this morning, absolutely, this, this moment in Mark chapter number 4 reveals to us much more about the hearts of the men in the boat than it does about the heart of the Messiah. So what do you do in those situations? How do you equate, or how does your equation work out? Situation plus yourself plus your God. How big is your God? We sang this morning, behold our God, seated on the throne. What does your God look like? I realize there's only one God, but I think you know what I mean by that. What, what gospel do you preach to yourself on a daily basis? What, what, Jesus, what does Jesus look like to you? How has he worked in your life? And then depending on what, what hinges on how you see God is going to equate what is the response in your life. Is it hope? Is it courage? Is it rest? Is it peace? Maybe it's not an outright panic like you see in Mark chapter number 4. God, Jesus, don't you care what's going to happen to us? But maybe your life is characterized by way more worry than any believer should ever have. Now listen to me. Given your confessions via singing this morning, hopefully you sang. Maybe if you didn't even do it all that loudly, maybe you were doing it there in your heart. Worry doesn't really make a lot of sense when we realize what we sang about. Maybe your pattern is to play the endless what-ifs. You know, that, you know the, the, the what-if-isms is the way that you reach peace. Well, what if it was this? And what if it was that? And you try to, you know, and again, I'm not saying you shouldn't plan. But listen, if you can figure out how everything is going to work out and happen, then you're God. So the reality is, is you're not going to be able to figure it all out. And if you're trying to go through all the what ifs, listen, you're you're not going to find any rest. And so Christ, his response in this moment, I'll be honest with you, it's a double rebuke. First, he rebukes the elements of the nature. We see in verse number 35, and he arose and, and he rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. This is an amazing thing. It is Christ literally speaking to the elements personally. It has the feel of a master literally commanding his servant. And that's exactly what is happening here. This is the, the Jesus, he's, he's the ruler of nature. He is, he's the Lord of creation. This is Christ. This is, this is your Savior. And he literally has the authority to speak to the natural elements, and they have to obey him. So if you're going to be really, really literal with this verse right here, if you're going to take it at its core, and it's literalist of translations of peace be still, it would literally say this, be silent, you have been muzzled. In other words, nature 
and the storm and the creation is, is raging and it's yelling and Jesus is like, nope. He just muzzled all of his creation. He's exercised power over it. He's basically saying, stop. And you need to let this moment of Scripture press in on your heart. I don't know how else other to say it is and that this is your Jesus. This is your Lord. This is your Savior. This is the type of power that is living in you through Him. I don't know how else other to say it. And so when you think about Jesus, who literally, I mean, just says, muzzled to the raging sea, to the raging wind, to the, to the whipping of waves... can he do in your situation and my situation this is your lord this is his power this is his glory how foolish and makes our fears seem when we sing things like behold our god i want to sing that again at the end of the service Behold our God who's seated on the throne. It makes the things that you and I worry about so, you and I, you and I worry about so much. It makes them so trivial. This is the one who said he'll never leave you nor forsake you. He is, this is the one who's invited you into a personal relationship with him and Jesus. This is the one who said that I am with you always. This is the one of great power. So he rebukes nature. And that is, in a sense, is a rebuke to us. I mean, if he can do that, what can he do in our situation? But secondly, Jesus turns to the disciples and he says this. And he said unto them, verse 40, Why are ye so fearful? How is it that ye have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said one to another, What manner of man is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Now there's a tendency for you and I to lead with doubt and accusation before we give ourselves to self-examination. So easy for us to do. It's easy to question Christ's care for us. It's easy to question his love for us. It's easy to doubt his wisdom. It's so easy to doubt His goodness rather than examining our own hearts and how we're responding to the situation. That's exactly what's going on here in this text. They come to Him, hey Jesus, don't you, don't you care? Don't you care about us? And there's a bit of a play of words that we see in this text that Jesus says. He's asked them in verse number 40, He says, you know, why are you, why are you so fearful? Why are you so fearful? Why are you of no faith where you know well, well why is it that you have no faith the word fearful in verse number 40 comes from the word dread it's when in those in those moments you don't just fear the moment but you actually dread what is coming next you dread what is going to happen and that's where the word fear in verse 40 and the word faith they, they, they come together not only do you fear the current scenario you fear what's going to happen later you're you, you, lack in the, you lack in the faith later. So, for example, the 10 to 15 minutes or so that I was looking for Blake, I was fearing, how will I ever live with, with myself? 
how will I ever, Sarah and I talk about this later, how will I ever be able to go to sleep at night knowing that my son might be somewhere else and someone took him? And mine was all, yeah, of course I was terrified for the current thing, but I'd already gone that he was kidnapped, he was on a boat down to Mexico, you know, you need, right? I, literally, it's, that's where it was, and that's natural, right? Thank you. So that's the, that's kind of the, there's a play on words here. When Jesus, when he says, he says, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? He's saying, hey, you've got such dread that this is literally affecting your future. And then in the passage that's above you, and it says, and they feared exceedingly, a different word. Entirely different word that's used for fear. The root word comes from the word that means life-shaping awe. Or life-shaping, you know, of amazement, of alarm of who Jesus is. I think there's a significant principle here. It is only fear that has the power to defeat fear. Hear me. It is only when fear of God which is a deep, glorious, Christ-given, grace-driven awe of God. It's when that is central, it's the central principle of my heart that I will be free from the kinds of fears that so often greet us. What we find here in Mark chapter number 4 was is, is that the original fear that these men had at the circumstances was the dread, was the, I'm going to die. And by the way, you and I would have had the same fear. I'm going to die. They wake Jesus up. And Jesus literally muzzled the creation. Peace be still. Amazing. And what Mark is letting us in on is that once these men beheld, they awed, they feared the right type of fear, a grace-driven fear, a Christ-given fear of an awe of, wow, he's amazing. The subsidiary fears go away. The fact of the matter is is that life is bigger than us. We will be in many times that are beyond our strength. You're going to be in times this week that are going to be beyond your wisdom. And your heart and my heart will be at rest in those types of moments when we have a fear of God that's above all else. Not the kind of fear where we're scared. Listen, Jesus should have taken that fear away a long time ago for you. It's a reverential awe and amazement of who God is and who Jesus Christ is. And when we are taken up by His glory of His power, the glory of His love, the glory of His grace and His wisdom and His presence, you and I will find rest. See, that's what Jesus was doing. Jesus was able to rest 
even in the midst of a storm. And when you and I are enraptured in Christ, when the gospel once again grips our hearts, as I'm begging he does again this morning, as we do every Sunday, that you and I will find rest. Only that deep awe of God, only that fear has the power to defeat all the other fears that would stop you and paralyze you. So what is faith in this context? Well, faith is carrying with you such a deep-rooted fear of God that you have hope and courage in situations where you have once been afraid. Why are you so afraid, guys? And he connects that with, why are you of so little faith? And the disciples say that wonderful rhetorical question in verse number 41. What manner of man is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? He's the Lord over all. That means he's the Lord over your life. He's the Lord over your circumstances. Do you rest in him in the moments of your difficulty? Do you believe in his power to defeat, which you cannot defeat? Do you fear and awe of him? Does that overwhelm the other fears that you would have? You see, the greatest difficulty does not exist outside of you. Your greatest difficulty exists inside of you. The greatest storm in your life is not a storm of nature. The greatest storm of your life is called sin. And listen, until we get called home from glory, that'd be great if it was today. Until we get called home from glory, sin is going to be a beating wave against your life. And in your heart. This week when difficulty comes, you're going to be tempted to say, God, why don't you care? God, where's the love? Where's your kindness? Why would you allow this situation to come into my life? Hey, listen, these are all questions we ask. And it is in moments of great awe of who Christ is. And who God is. And His grace and His love and His power and His beholding our God who's seated on the throne. It's only then can you and I be rescued from that. If you're here this morning and you do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior, it is the same awe of who God is, the rescue that is found in the saving grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. A recognition of the sufficiency of His sacrifice on the cross that will give you hope and forgiveness of your sin. It's it's Jesus for the lost person that's in here, and it's Jesus for the born-again believer in here. What's your awe look like? Are you amazed at who He is? Or does your God not care? Or does your God not love? Or is your God too small to fix that problem? Situation, self your view of who God is and it's going to either equal dreadful fear or God is awesome and he's powerful and he's holy and he can do anything then it's like wow the right kind of fear and you can move into your week and into your situation knowing that God completely 
and fully cares. And that he can defeat any situation in him. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you.